More coaching hires in the NFL that don't involve Bill Belichick, but there's one owner who has to throw his two cents in on the six-time Super Bowl winning coach. Any idea who that could be? Timberwolves guard Anthony Edwards has a gripe with the officials and a win? Is Luka Doncic better than Mavericks legend Dirk Nowitzki and discussed in the pantheon of MJ, Kobe, and LeBron? A few top 10 teams in college basketball take a hit as another unpredictable next couple of months. So wait, and the Angelos family are actually going to sell the Baltimore Orioles? Is that a good thing or bad? Plus some special news regarding the podcast that may come as a surprise. Let's get this sports podcast party started for the second month of 2024. It's all coming up, but first, this message. JReels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the JReels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, at JReels, as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me on my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights, as I provide an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic in excellent spirits. A new day, new month, and new podcast ushers in February for you guys and gals with nothing but unfiltered and unadulterated sports talk as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and before we get into everything that's happening in sports, I want to get into some housekeeping right from the start, and just so you know, I've talked about this for weeks, how there's going to be some changes, how there's going to be almost an unveiling of the podcast as I take this to another level. And let it be known that starting February the 12th, so that would be 11 days from today, the day after the Super Bowl, where the J Reels podcast will be in video format. We'll still have the audio, so wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, you know the drill, you'll still be able to hear yours truly into your headphones, earbuds, or speakers. But if you want to get the full effect for the visually inclined you can check out the podcast on my YouTube channel, at J Reels, moving forward, starting the day after the Super Bowl. And that's just the beginning. I'll uncover a couple of other things. Maybe on Monday's podcast, I'll even give you another tease as to what's going to happen 
with the podcast and yours truly in particular. But I figured, let me get that out of the gate. I understand I probably could have waited till Monday just to have it even to where a week from then I could say that the video podcast will be ready for everybody to view. But why not now? New month. Let's kick it off the right way, the best way possible, because there's going to be a lot that's happening here over the course of these next few weeks. And to think, one month from today exactly will be the sixth anniversary of the J Reels podcast. So I just wanted to put that out there. As always, please subscribe, like, leave a comment. And with everything that's going to transpire here in the days and weeks to come, I just want to let it be known that with the video podcast and with a couple other things that's coming down the pike, I want to apprise the guys and gals, whether you're here for your very first time or you've been here since day one, the video podcast is forthcoming starting on February the 12th. So just keep that in mind. And of course, I will mention that over the course of the next couple of podcasts leading in to that first podcast after the Super Bowl. So let's get to it. NFL, I'm not going to unpack anything that has to do with the Super Bowl. I'll get into early storylines on Monday's podcast and then obviously break down the game a week from today. We have so much time between now and then. I'm not going to get into anything that's happening and certainly not going to recap what took place over the weekend when it comes to the AFC and NFC title games. No need to rehash that. I get it. We could still probably even get into the Lions meltdown there in the second half as well as the Ravens having their own meltdown, more so from all the personal fouls and the head coach. And even with the Lions, the same deal as far as Dan Campbell not kicking field goals. And I'm sure he probably still hasn't slept, no matter how much he could tell us, the fans or the media, how he has no regrets about how he tackled those two fourth and threes there in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, respectively. So the... One good thing coming out of Detroit here over the last few days, and in this case, the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions, Ben Johnson, staying put. He was rumored to be the hot guy coming out of this playoff and into the offseason, but for whatever the reason, he decided to stay put with Dan Campbell. I know Amon Ross St. Brown, the wide receiver on his podcast, said that there's some unfinished business. One of the reasons why Johnson decided to stay in the Motor City, which was good for him, and I thought it was a very smart move. I get it with these coordinators, and there's only 32 of these jobs. You want to strike while the iron is hot, which I'll get to Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator, or formerly the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens, and how he took the job in Seattle. But for Ben Johnson, I think it was wise for him to stay another year. He's still going to be that hot guy, you would think, barring the Lions taking a couple steps back in 2024. But if they do have another successful year and, dare I say, win an NFC Championship game and get to a Super Bowl, he's probably going to make that much more money and be so much of a hot commodity that he's going to have teams nibbling at his heels. So for Johnson, I thought that was a wise move. And the flip side for Mike McDonald, of course, who am I to tell him not to take a head coaching job? But considering with the way the Raven defense was this past year and how he jumped to Seattle to take the job, to fill in some big shoes for Pete Carroll, who was there for a long time, as we know. McDonald's now the youngest coach in the NFL at 36 years of age. And one more time, I can't tell him what to do. I thought maybe it would be wise for him to stay another year or two as a coordinator, maybe one more year. But again, it's his life. I hope he has a lot of success there 
with the Seahawks in the NFC West. As we know, it's going to be competitive with the Niners and even the Rams in their division. But for McDonald, he goes on to greener pastures. And let's see how that shakes down because when we take a look at the landscape, a lot of the guys that are getting hired for head coaching positions, they're all offensive coordinators. When we look at what's gone on there with the Carolina Panthers, bringing in a guy like David Casales, and I said from Miami on Monday, actually, he was with the Buccaneers under Todd Bowles there in Tampa. You also have the offensive coordinator of the Bengals going to Tennessee, Brian Callahan. A lot of these coaches are fixated on wanting to get instant offense. They're going to want to have to play the way the game is in 2024, and even in the last, let's say, dozen years, where it's a passing offense, it's about moving the ball down the field, it's about trying to get the big play, and understand you have to have the players, and even though we can look at Raheem Morris getting the job in Atlanta as a defensive guy, and we understand that he was a head coach prior, but a lot of the owners and a lot of the teams are so focused on offense and trying to just tailor their system around whether it's the big quarterback or even a big running game or a short passing attack or even a deep passing attack. We get it that this is the lay of the land here over the course of the last dozen years, as I mentioned. And for McDonald to get that job, kudos to him. I'm sure he wowed the front office and the ownership there in Seattle, but Let's see how he's going to fare as a young mind trying to find his way in a league where, remember, he came from Michigan with Jim Harbaugh, got to the Baltimore with John, and now they let him loose for him to be a head coach. Wish him all the best, but uh, I'm sure whomever it is that he's going to hire on his staff, you would think that he would try to get some seasoned guys in there, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Because a lot of people are really unfamiliar with this guy. Where people know who Raheem Morris is. Or a lot of the other offensive coordinators. Or even defensive coordinators for that matter. And even a guy like Ben Johnson as I mentioned. He was a guy that before this year nobody even heard of. And right. They had a lot of success this year. We know what they did in the postseason. And now all of a sudden he becomes that guy where everybody wants to pluck from the Lions. To bring as a head coach to whichever team. But he decided "Uh uh-uh. I'm going to stay put. Let's get another year under my belt, and then maybe at that point, we'll see where he'll go from there. Which, one more time, I thought was a smart move. And then you had, speaking of offensive coordinators, the Steelers hired Arthur Smith, the former Atlanta Falcons coach, and was an offensive coordinator prior to that in Tennessee. I thought that that was a very good hire. The Steelers need to have a guy who knows his way around the league. I understand that they tried to bring in the Matt Canada's of the world, and even with the interims there with Kevin Faulkner. I get it. It was just a stopgap to try to get a guy that was going to be wise above his years. And we saw Arthur Smith have success there in Tennessee to the tune of being a team that went to a conference championship there in his time at Tennessee. And I believe he left the year after Tennessee beat the Ravens Now, I think I got my years mixed up. No, that was the year they went to the title game. I remember that one year Tennessee went into Kansas City and they beat them in that wild card round. And I think that was the same year that they beat Baltimore the following week. I got my years all mixed up here, people, so my apologies ahead of time. But I know Arthur Smith was part of that team. I get it that you had a guy like Derrick Henry who was running the ball and was the main focal point on that team. You also had A.J. Brown, John U. Smith with Ryan Tannehill. 
So his experience, expertise coming into a Steeler team that has very good position players or skilled position players with Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryer moves, Najee Harris. The quarterback is a big question mark. We don't know if Kenny Pickett's going to be the answer, and that's a going to be a big year this offseason, training camp, etc., to see whether or not he's going to be that guy in Pittsburgh to follow Ben Roethlisberger and have any success there on the center in Pittsburgh. And speaking of which, I love what Art Rooney, the owner of the Steelers, came out and said recently that it's time for some playoff success. He's looking around, seeing what's happening in Kansas City, even New England over the years, and the Steelers have not won a playoff game, ironically, since they beat the Chiefs in 2017 before playing the Patriots in an AFC Championship game. Because since then, they have either not made the postseason or they've had big regular seasons and they bottomed out in the postseason, i.e. Jacksonville, if you remember that, in the divisional round in 2017, which was the last big year that the Steelers had because are you going to go back to the year in 2020 when they lost to the Browns, although they started off 11-0, and ended up 12-4, and but after all the miscues there in that first quarter down 28 nothing, they fell way short, or going to Kansas City the year later in Ben Roethlisberger's last year, and they were competitive for a quarter and a half before they imploded, and then we saw what happened here this past year. All right, they made it to the postseason, and even though Buffalo got off to a big lead and they tried to hang in there with the Bills before losing in the wild card round, yes, it is time, as a huge Steeler fan that I am, I want to see some growth, I want to see some progression. Mike Tomlin, who's looking for an extension, he's probably going to be there for the next, you would think, after this year, another three more years. And now with Arthur Smith, hopefully they can infuse some life into that offense, which you did see in the latter part of the year, those final few games under Mason Rudolph. But they're going to need a lot more if they want to hang with the Joneses, and that's the Kansas Cities, the Cincinnati's, the Baltimore's, the Buffalo's, a very stocked and loaded AFC. And that's not including the Jets with a healthy Aaron Rodgers. I get it 40 years of age, but who knows? Jim Harbaugh going to LA with Justin Herbert. That could be a wild card there. And who knows if Jacksonville is going to be a team that after this past year fell flat on their faces, whether or not Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence will have the chemistry to get themselves back into the postseason the way they were two years ago. So a lot of work ahead of them for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then I'll conclude with this. Bill Belichick, as we know, is still out there. And there's only one more position that needs to be filled in the NFL, and that's in Washington. Now, the likelihood of him going to the nation's capital right now seems pretty slim. And maybe Bill Belichick is resigned to the fact that he's not going to be on a sideline in 2024, which maybe for him it's a good thing. He's only coached New England for the last, what, 23, 24 years? Tough year this year. What were they, 4-13, 5-12 at best? So maybe it's good for the six-time Super Bowl winning coach just to take a pause, smell the roses, and maybe even reflect a little bit on the last two and a half decades of what he did up in Foxborough as cementing him as one of the best, if not the best coach in the history of the sport. But now you have, just a couple days ago, in the Senior Bowl of all places, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys had to come out I guess when asked about Bill Belichick, even though Mike McCarthy is the coach here in 2024, but for Jones to open up his fat trap, and of course, he's never met a camera or microphone he didn't like, and we understand that he is the owner, GM, coach, equipment manager, 
trainer, concession stand, marketing director. He's everything. He wears all the hats. And when he was asked about Bill Belichick, couldn't help himself by saying that he knows him personally, considers him a friend, and even has no doubt that he could work with him and would not have a problem with him if he was to be the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Why can't you just say, Mom? Why can't you just say that, yes, I have a lot of respect, tremendous amount of respect for Bill Belichick and what he's done in this league, but my coach is Mike McCarthy in 2024. That's it. Next question. Did he have to go and say that he knows him personally, considers him a friend, and that I have no doubt that I could work with this guy to almost leave the thought and maybe even the, I'll even go as far as saying the fantasy for the Cowboy fan to think that they should have let McCarthy go on a rail despite the fact that he was 36 and 15 the past three seasons with one NFC East champion, if you want to even call it that, because in Dallas it's not about division championships, it's about Super Bowl championships. But even with all that, you couldn't just lay off or hang back. And you could even argue, what the hell is he doing at the Senior Bowl? Considering, I get he's a GM, and uh, but still, he just attracts more unwanted attention to him, his team, the coach, even the quarterback, although he said nothing about Dak Prescott, but all of that encapsulates what this owner does. And this is why the Cowboys are a three-ring circus when it comes to any type of attention because it's all at the feet of Jerry Jones. And I'm sure for all the Cowboy fans out there, including my beloved cousin and former radio partner, JD, that when he heard that, I'm sure he's like, oh boy, here we go again. And it's just a shame because the Cowboys, they shouldn't even be relevant here. But because they are the star... And because they are the biggest franchise as far as their worth goes in North America, and maybe even the world for that matter, even if Jerry Jones says, I just ate a peanut butter jelly sandwich, that's going to be news. So, I get it. Any attention to the Dallas Cowboys, whether good, bad, and different, is still making them relevant. But we all know that for someone like myself, and I only bring it up because You do have to roll your eyes and say, oh, geez. But it's just another day in the life of Jerry Jones and the medium machine that is the Dallas Cowboys. All right, now I'm going to turn my attention as I lace up my high tops to go through the NBA as well as college basketball. And not that there's much to unpack there because as we get now into February... And once we get past the Super Bowl, we could really roll up our sleeves. And I know Carolina Duke on Saturday, which is always the first Saturday in February, which also would be the first Saturday in March, right before Conference Championship Weekend, where you have Carolina and Duke go at it. But for the NBA, I'll start there. You had a couple of interesting developments here over the last few days. Monday, I talked about how the Timberwolves and the Thunder were playing for first place In the Western Conference, who would ever have thought that here we are, January into February, that these two teams would be one and two in the NBA Western Conference. And as it was, the Timberwolves were able to come away with a victory on the road at OKC, but you heard some words come out of Anthony Edwards, the 
all-star guard, which I will believe he's going to be a starting all-star. I haven't followed the ballot. And if he's not a starter, he's going to be voted in, if not by the players, coaches, etc., as one of the reserves on the Western Conference All-Star team. And I'm glad they're going back to East-West. This captains with Giannis and LeBron, and I get it, they want to experiment and try to have a little fun with it. Anything that they could do to attract people to not only watch the game, but even watch the player draft, which has been semi-controversial in the past. But with that aside, the T-Wolves guard had a few choice words to say about the refs in reference to him. I don't care if I get a fine, but the refs, they blew this game. Instances where Shai Gilgis Alexander, the great point guard or the great guard of the Thunder, how he was able to get fouls, but Anthony Edwards wasn't. And mind you, this was in a win. Usually after a loss, players or coaches, they're going to voice their frustrations through the media when it comes to the officials. But in this case, he said, "Uh uh-uh, I've had enough. It was like playing eight versus five out there when it comes to the Thunder, the three referees on the court, and us five playing against them. And I didn't watch the game, so I couldn't really tell, but it was kind of odd that even in a win, how Edwards there in the postgame, just two minutes after the game ended, had to voice his displeasure over the refs. He got fined $40,000. He knew that that was coming. And I don't know if that was his first offense. Usually the first offense you'll get 25k but in this case he got 40k but Edwards as we all know a guy that is one of the not only just top stars in the NBA but arguably may be the best guy in the team even with Carl Anthony Towns there who's been there for God knows how many years what seven eight years at minimum maybe even longer than that for that matter but for Edwards to come out and say that I guess the coach Chris Finch He's just going to let the players do what they want. And I understand it's his money. And he can only do but so much to control his players. And especially in a scenario where on the local TV broadcast that he gets pulled aside and asked a couple of questions. And he's just going to come out and say, well, I'm going to get fined for this. But here goes. Hopefully that doesn't happen more down the line. Because I could see that almost being a distraction. Especially for a team that still is a little bit immature. And I understand they're finding their way. As a team here in this year, similar to what we have seen in years past with the Memphis Grizzlies, a good young team with good young players, but there's some immaturity there. As you saw with Dylan Brooks, who's now in Houston, and I'm sure you saw that there the other day with LeBron and how that unfolded. But for the T-Wolves, who are 34-14, and a game ahead of the Thunder as of right this second, and two games ahead of the Clippers, that's a very tight, top of the Western Conference where you have the two young guns and then you have the two veteran teams in the Clippers and Nuggets right behind them should make for a very interesting race here as we get deeper into the month and obviously past the all-star break which is in two weeks and then of course as we thrust our way through the rest of this regular season and then you had two returns in the NBA last night where Kevin Durant in his first visit into Brooklyn as a member of Of the Suns, after the trade last year, almost to the day, I think it was February the 9th, just a few days after Kyrie was traded to the Dallas Mavericks. But for KD, who came to Brooklyn and pretty much, I don't want to say thumbed his nose, but he shrugged his shoulders to say, 
I'm not into hypotheticals because the question was asked, oh, what if you're stay here in Brooklyn considering he hits his wagon on Kyrie back in 2019 and then halfway through that tenure or about the, yeah, you could say the midway point with James Harden coming on board and we saw how that worked out where Harden left town to Philadelphia before going to LA with the Clippers and then Kyrie and then of course KD. Didn't really have much to say about it. He said he enjoyed his tenure, first class organization, building the community in Brooklyn with the team at the time. But besides that, nothing much else to add. And he got a warm reception there last night. He did hear a smattering of booze, did get applause. And to me, that's what he deserved. When I look at Kevin Durant and his tenure in Brooklyn, and mind you, the first year he didn't even play because he was recovering from that Achilles that he suffered in the NBA final against the Toronto Raptors. So for that first year, was no factor. And then in his first full season, we remember that playoff with the Bucks, as I talked about there on Monday. The following year got swept by the Celtics and then was traded, what? A little more than halfway through the season. So he really had two and a half years in Brooklyn, and I get it, they did the video tribute, and that was something that he didn't want, credit to him on that, but as I talked about Monday, and one more time, if you're there for five minutes, they're going to give you a video tribute, that's just the way of the world here, not only just in the NBA, but in all sports, when it comes to players coming back to their old stomping grounds, so for Durant, didn't say much, did have 33 points, and a big win over Brooklyn on national TV there with ABC, so if you watched that there last night, you saw his return was pretty much nothing to write home about. But then in Portland, you had Damian Lillard in his first visit to Portland after, what, 11 years as a trailblazer, standing ovation, signs everywhere, and everybody expected a rousing and raucous, just welcome back to the Pacific Northwest, and he deserved that. Kudos to him. He was a good soldier there for the trailblazers all those years. And even in the presser, he came out and said that he still sees himself as a blazer when it's all said and done, that I guess in the final couple of years, maybe after his deal with Milwaukee, he may just go back to Portland and close out his career. Honest, open, you like that, but I'm sure if you're a Buck fan or maybe even the Buck front office may not be too crazy about it, despite the fact that his heart is in Portland by way of Oakland, as we all know, where he grew up. So his ties to that region... Obviously, are very close, but knowing that there's business to be taken care of, considering that they traded for him as that final piece to get the Bucks back to a championship to keep Giannis there, who signed an extension, and we talked about that, how he wasn't going to sign an extension if the pieces in place weren't there for a championship, as he told the front office, and bringing Lillard there, and even though I get it, first game back, had to soak it all in, similar to Freddie Freeman, and I talked about that a couple of years ago when he signed with the Dodgers and his first return to Atlanta was very tearful, just pretty much bowing down to the Brave organization, and I get it that there's going to be some sentiment, I get it that there's going to be maybe even some emotion, but to the point where he just let it all out, Freddie Freeman, and maybe to a certain extent with Lillard, he did the same, saying that, oh, before my days are done, I'm coming back as a Blazer. So it doesn't matter. The Bucks can win a title this year, next year, and win three straight. But once his contract is up, he's going to go back to Portland. And if that's going to be the case, kudos to him. And one more time, you love the 
honesty, you love him being candid to talk about just how he feels about the organization and where he grew up and not only just as a young man into the adult that he is and all the memories and the friends and I'm sure it was tough for him to not go left or whatever it was to go to the home locker room where he had to go right or vice versa. But for Lillard, that was his return. And this was in a loss, I might add. He would have scored 26 points. And the Trailblazers were able to beat the Bucks there last night. So you had those two returns. And then to wrap up with the NBA before I go through maybe some standings, I'll get to that. A few days ago, you had the coach of the Mavericks, Jason Kidd, who was a one-time and even drafted by the Dallas Mavericks, came out and said that Luka Doncic is already an all-time Maverick, probably the best that ever put on a uniform. And that says a lot because you have a guy in Dirk Nowitzki who not only won a title, but is one of what, maybe six or seven people in the 77-year history of the NBA that have scored 30,000 points. And a guy who, in that area, I'm sure he can walk into a bar, restaurant, doesn't matter, he's going to get a beer, free meal, no matter what. When you think of the Mount Rushmore of Dallas sports figures, he is there. And not to break that down at this very moment, but there is no if ends, buts, babies about it that Nowitzki, his head is chiseled on Dallas's Mount Rushmore for athletes in that city. And for Kid to come out to say that Luka in his sixth year is already the greatest Maverick ever, that's some strong words. And Jason Kidd, as we all know, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a guy that one of the all-time great point guards in the league. So I'm not going to discount that or say that it's preposterous for him to even think that. I would say this. As long as he remains healthy and finishes his career in Dallas, now it would be better if he finishes his career there as opposed to, let's say there's an impasse at some point and then he leaves to go elsewhere, that even if he was in the league for 15 years, let's just use this as an example, and 10 of those years were in Dallas, and I'm sure he's going to put up record numbers, etc., so on and so forth, but because Dirk, where his career spanned the entirety of his NBA career in Dallas, that I want to wait and see this play out And hopefully he stays in Dallas for the remainder of his career. Because if he does that, bar none, even if he doesn't score 30,000 points, Luka that is, he will be the greatest Maverick of all time because of the all-around player that he is. He's able to rebound. He's able to pass. We know the triple-doubles, the assist numbers, points, etc. off the charts. And Dirk at 7 feet, a guy that, I'm not going to say he had a big-time handle like Kevin Durant at his height, his size, etc., But we all know, the guy was unguardable. You couldn't block that one-legged fadeaway that was patented, I believe, and even immortalized outside of the American Airlines Center with a statue. And Nowitzki, it's even crazy to even think that he could even be underrated all time when it comes to NBA players. But I will say this. Let's see how the rest of his career is going to play out. Would I say at this very moment that he is the greatest Maverick of all time? I cannot say that. You want to say he's second? That you could argue. Because there aren't a lot of players, even if you want to go back to the days of Orlando Blackman, forget about Brad Davis. He was a point guard that started with the Mavericks back in 1980. But this goes to show you, you know, there are guys that have been 
in that uniform over the years that have Mark Aguirre. We could go through the whole list. Dirk's number one right now, and you can even say Luca's number two without fail. Because Jason Kidd, you may want to throw him in there. You're not going to throw in guys like Jason Terry or anybody from the 2011 championship team, the Tyson Chandlers, the you know guys like that. You're not going to do that. They're only there for just a handful of years. But for Luca to be number two, fine. But for Kidd to then also put him in the category of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron James, let's see how his career is going to play out first. Now, there is no doubt that Luca's talent is otherworldly. He is one of the best basketball players on the planet. You could even argue that he's top five in the league. He's easily top 10, without question. And when we talk top 10, he's probably six, seven, or eight. So he's not nine or 10. But, and Jason Kidd knows a hell of a lot more basketball than I do, without question. But, can we let Luka get to year 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and let him stay in a Maverick uniform before we could even think that he's in that pantheon of those greats, guys who have won combined 14 NBA championships, where Luka Doncic has made one conference final? Championships are a part of it. And I don't want to hear that even if Luka has all the numbers and he can win a million first-team All-NBA nods and have 7,000 All-Star selections and appearances and have a zillion triple-doubles, he could have all that. If he has no championships, and yes, he would still be considered an all-time great, first ballot Hall of Famer, etc., no doubt. But to be among the greats, the immortals, Jordan is an immortal. LeBron is an immortal. Kobe is an immortal. You have to win titles. And that's my argument. Luca, I want to see a little bit more here. And that's not to say that he's not proven that he is one of the top Mavericks of all time. And as of right this second, maybe you could argue that. But Nowitzki does have 30,000 points and has a ring on his finger. Where Luca. His trajectory is still going north. By any means, the window's not closing. But can we get to year 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 before we could even put him in to rarefied air? I'll just leave it at that. So I talked about the Western Conference a little bit. I'm not going to go through every little particular. I know that now, as we slowly but surely are heading into that sports dead zone. I know I'm going to have to unpack a lot of the latest as far as playoff seedings since we're well past the halfway point of the year. But, excuse me, it's pretty much status quo, people. I know the Heat finally got a victory there, and they've been hurting. They have not been playing well, and they're hovering in that 7-10 to 10 range with the playing tournament, and that's right where they probably want to be because... Remember, last year, they were part of the playing scenario after losing the first game, if you recall, before having the battle to the bitter end against the Bulls before getting to an NBA final when it was all said and done. So even though the Heat, they've been sporadic, they've been inconsistent, but you would think before it's all said and done, even though they are tied with Orlando there in the 7-8 range in the East and two games behind the Pacers who got Tyrese Halliburton back, and I know he said some stupid things as far as the 65-game threshold, Him saying that, oh, it's stupid. 
if we're hurt or if we want to take time off and we can't be part of the all-NBA first team, second team, etc., or MVP categories, that's not fair. You got to show up and play there, Tyrese. And I get it. You just came back from a hamstring injury. That wasn't anything that you could control. But let's face it. 65 games. You cannot play 41 games and be considered amongst the top five players in the NBA or maybe even in the MVP discussion. doesn't work that way. So the NBA had to put a threshold, a barrier, if you will, to say that if you're going to play anything less than this, you're not going to be eligible to be part of the postseason awards when it comes to everything that I just mentioned. So for Halliburton, I get he's a young player on the come up, probably going to be, I would think, before it's all said and done, an All-NBA guy if he does play 65 games, and I believe he's probably a game or two off right now. He would have to maybe miss a couple of more games and then be at 65. I don't know how many he's missed overall, but come on, my guy. You can't play 50 games and expect to be a first-team All-NBA when you've had other players play at least, let's say, 60 games. And I understand you have to play at least 65, but for Halliburton to come out and say that, please, that's just smacking the face of all the players that played before you that built the league and saying, come on. Are you really going to bitch and moan about this? So that's what I have to say about Halliburton. I like him. The guy's a great player, and you would think that he's going to be a perennial all-star from here on out, but that was just, I'm sure, one that he could probably wish he could have back, especially if a lot of the older players got in his ear and said, well, Tyrese, you know, this is how it is. We just can't expect to walk on a court and then walk off when we feel like it and then just think that we could just be part of the NBA discussion or MVP discussion. So that's what I have to say about that. As far as the schedule for the next few days, you have the Lakers in Boston tonight, TNT, and then they come to New York to play the Knicks at the Garden on Saturday, the Showcase ABC. So you'll see the Lakers here over the course of the next 48 hours or so in the Northeast Corridor. Little... Lakers-Celtics, which is always a good thing, despite the fact that the Lakers are just awful on the road and have not played well. They got lambasted in Atlanta a couple of nights ago, and they've given up, I believe, what, four straight games or over 130 points. I'm sure to the chagrin of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, and somewhere, wherever may Kobe may be, I'm sure they are just shaking their heads, just wondering where's the defense. And I believe Anthony Davis was out in the previous game So we'll take a look to see up close and personal here on national TV how the Lakers will fare against both the Celtics and Knicks. Besides that, nothing else to really dive into schedule-wise as we get that much more closer to the All-Star break. Looking to see here, Minnesota, Oklahoma City. Nothing else to really get into when it comes to the schedule. Maybe Milwaukee at Dallas on Saturday with Giannis and Lillard visiting Luka. And I know Kyrie's been in and out of the lineup there now recently with a sprained thumb. So we'll continue to monitor what's happening there with the association. As far as college basketball, the top 10 had three teams knocked out here so far this week where you had UNC lose to Georgia Tech. I believe at the buzzer or late in the game, I didn't watch it. This is just based on what I saw. And then Tennessee actually lost, and they're number five in the country, Tennessee, where the Tar Heels are number three. Carolina did lose on a late three to South Carolina. And then you had 
Florida beating Kentucky at Rupp Arena. So generally these games are usually on the road where these top teams lose, but for whatever the reason, Calipari and company weren't able to hang on there to beat the Gators as they are probably going to fall out of the top 10 at the moment. But with college basketball, as I've said before, and I'll say it one more time, these next two months are going to be topsy-turvy, unpredictable, and even though we can look at some of these teams here as threats, whether it is Carolina, who's played very well this year, unlike last year where they didn't even make it into the tournament, but with UConn being the defending champ and them currently being number one, followed by Purdue, which hopefully they'll get some length out of their team in the tournament when the time comes. Houston, Duke, up there as well. But Duke lost the other day. I forgot to who. I got to think. Didn't it Duke? I'd have to go back and check. But Duke did not. Or maybe I got them mixed up with another team. I know Duke lost to Pitt, but I thought maybe they lost in the last couple of nights, but that's not the case. But college basketball... We will certainly get into it as we get into this month, obviously deeper into February and certainly in the early part of March when we get to conference championship week, set us up for selection Sunday and then obviously the tournament days after that. And the sports dead zone, as I like to talk, from the Super Bowl pretty much to the start of the tournament, that's where we get through the wasteland. And I understand you still have NBA, NHL, even the college basketball And even with spring training on the horizon, people could start getting the visions of baseball, the crack of the bat, the smell of the grass. But we all know that baseball, although it's going to start when? March 28th. I think it's the earliest that the baseball season will begin in the history of the sport. But it's still a long ways to go, even though it is still considered next month. And even with the long month here in February with leap year. But you get what I'm saying. Still... A long time between the final gun at the Super Bowl with the confetti coming down and the start of the baseball season as we try to get through this winter as seamless as possible. But that's what you have with the college basketball. Other teams ranked there, top 10. Houston, ranked number four currently. Duke is seven. Kansas eight. Marquette, Kentucky, Arizona. You still have a lot of the blue bloods there, which college basketball needs. I understand last year we could look at the San Diego States and the FAUs and Miami getting to a Final Four, how great that was. But unlike the year prior, where you had Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina, and Duke, doesn't get any better than that. So to think two years ago you had those four teams battling it out, which arguably are the top four in the country, And then last year, to go along with UConn, to have San Diego State and the aforementioned FAU Miami, although it is compelling to see how far these teams could go with Cinderella's, but again, not the most sexiest matchups and certainly not one that you're going to be glued to the television set as it was the year prior. What you're going to get this year certainly remains to be seen and obviously we'll be here to take a look and see how this is all going to shake down here over the course of the next couple of months, so I thought I'd bring that up. And then speaking of baseball, I'll conclude here. The big news is coming out of Baltimore where the Angelos family are selling a big chunk of the Oriole franchise to an investment group which is led by David Rubenstein and Mike Araghetti. They're private equity moguls, $1.75 billion, but also... Part of that group 
are former Mayor Mike Bloomberg and former NBA great Grant Hill, who have bought in to the Baltimore Orioles. And I would say this, it couldn't come at a better time if you're an Oriole fan. To my guy Jai, who's been on my podcast a couple years ago, young kid living out of Baltimore, podcaster in his own right. When we take a look back at last year, how the team succeeded, 101 wins. Yes, they flopped in the postseason, but with all the young talent that they have, from Adley Rutschman to Gunnar Henderson to Jackson Holiday, the son of former Major Leaguer Matt Holiday, among many other that are in the pipeline and coming through the pike, where you're going to have to pay these guys at some point. And we understand their pitching is suspect, and their day-to-day lineup is certainly stacked. And even though you still have a few years before you have to deal with arbitration and free agency, etc., but the Angelos have been notorious. Going back to Peter Angelos, the father, the patriarch of the group, who's now passed it on to his son, John, and all of the rumblings over the last, not going to say recently, but going back to last summer, how this team has certainly grown and certainly have made some strides to the point where the Angelos, who have been frugal, and an ownership that you would certainly have to question whether or not that they would keep this young core together. Now that you bring in the Rubenstein, Arrogetti with Mike Bloomberg and Grant Hill, that certainly changes the whole complexion of where this organization could go. Because for many, even as early as last year, and mind you, Rutschman, I believe he's going into his second full year as a major leaguer. Same for Gunnar Henderson, will be his first full year, because I believe he came up maybe sometime in the early part of spring. But now that you're getting all these pieces together, and even though they're still years away from getting the big bucks, but even in the back of your mind, you wondered whether or not that the Angelos family were going to be able to keep these guys. And then the crazy thing is, is that knowing that this group is going to come in and buy for $1.75 billion, it made me think, Was it time for them to sell knowing that they were going to get a big chunk and they're still going to have a stake in the franchise? So they may not have complete say, but they're still going to be on board for some of the decision making when it comes to player procurement or who knows, maybe stuff around the ballpark as we've seen here over the course of the last few years, whether it's the Ricketts family who own the Cubs, what they did with Wrigleyville, the surrounding area in the north side of Chicago, and what you're going to see here with Steve Cohen, with the Mets, how all the chop shops behind the outfield, that's all going to be renovated, where you're going to have the new soccer stadium for the, I believe, the NYCFC of the MLS, as well as bars, restaurants, hotels. That's going to get a significant upgrade. So we would think that maybe, and I haven't been down in the Camden Yards area in quite some time, and it's right across the street from the M&T Bank, stadium where the Ravens play, but I'm sure there's going to be a groundswell to have more restaurants, shops, and things of that nature to make the surrounding area that much more attractive for the fans to come down to have an experience for the day as opposed to just going into the ballpark and leaving on a day-in, day-out basis. But it did make me think that for the Angelos to be shrewd enough to sell the team now. And maybe they've heard from the media, whether it's local or national, when it comes to their reputation, and maybe thinking that it's time to make that pivot because they do not want to be part of an ownership group 
that is going to either trade their players or not get anything back in return when they max out their time as an Oriole and get to free agency. Maybe they didn't want to stick around to be a part of that, that even though they still have a say, and if they do win and become World Series champs, that they could be a part of that without having to deal with the brunt of the fan base or the media. And who knows what their thinking was. This is just me from afar trying to take the pulse of why they sold this franchise at this point in time, considering that they're trending north on the heels of what happened last year and they're only going to get better. Why did they sell now? That is a $64,000 question if you ask me. And I'm sure they were conscious of their reputation and had the awareness and the wherewithal to know that maybe the best thing for this franchise is to put feelers out there. Now, this came out of nowhere also. This isn't something that has been in the works. If you think back to Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, remember he wanted to put his team for sale and then reneged on that where he said, "Uh -uh, I'm not going to do that. It's not as if the Angelos, there's been some sort of buildup leading to the point where, uh uh-oh, is it quite possible that the Angelos could sell? This came, let's face it, out of nowhere. And kudos to the Angelos family for doing this to their fan base. I'm sure they're celebrating up and down the streets outside of Camden Yards. And you would only hope that this new ownership group is not going to have the shiny new toy syndrome where they're going to flex and floss to their MLB cronies and maybe even to some other people where, hey, we have a baseball team and they may run it into the ground thinking that this is going to be the wise or smart business decision to bring this player or not sign that guy or not do this and do that. And next thing you know, the team just ends up flopping left and right and are not going to be that young team over the next half decade plus that could be a mainstay and not only that a contender year in and year out. Don't you think that's the reason why they bought the team? And not just try to make it as their flex, as I said? So, let's see what kind of success this ownership group's going to have as this team continues to build and put its pieces together from the ground up and from within to have some World Series success, you would hope, at some point down the road. There was also a big trade the other day with Seattle and Minnesota. Usually Seattle's made all the trades this offseason, but they procure Jorge Polanco from the Twins for a plethora of players, including Anthony Discalfani, who was most notably known, bounced around, Reds, Marlins, Giants, etc. Also another couple of pitchers, Justin Topa, Darren Bowen, the big prospect of this deal was Gabriel Gonzalez, an outfielder. But for Polanco going to Seattle, I don't know if that's supposed to make up for them trading Eugenio Suarez in the offseason to Arizona. But here's a guy who had two good years in 2021 where he went 33-98, hit 269. His best year in 2019 where he was 22-79 and batted 295. Also scored 107 runs and was an all-star that year. But did they give up too much? I don't know. Quite frankly, Gabriel Gonzalez, what type of prospect? He was number three in the pipeline when it comes to their organization overall. I think he was somewhere in the 30s. And who knows with Topa or even Bowen for that matter. Di Scalfani, we know what he is. He's a serviceable starter. Probably somewhere you could pencil him in as a three or four starter at best. But Polanco, who's had a couple of big years, but I don't know if this was one that Seattle may jump up and down and be ecstatic for because it's not as if he's a perennial all-star or a guy that's a lock 25, 90, 30, and 100 type player. 
They should have just kept Suarez for that matter, but I'm sure that was fiscal, knowing that he was probably going to be a free agent at some point. I don't know his status. And maybe for Suarez, it was just time to part ways, knowing that maybe the Mariners weren't going to sign him to a long-term deal. I don't know the full parameters of that, but you did have a trade there. And to me, I can't even tell you who made out. You would think maybe Minnesota made out more, but we understand we're prospects. These guys usually don't pan out to their full potential as to what we have read or even seen or heard. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Justin Turner signed a one-year deal with the Blue Jays, so the Red Sox weren't able to keep him there. Let's see how he fares north of the border. Aaron Hicks signs with the Anaheim Angels. And the Yankees are on the hook for $27 million, I believe. They still owe him, what, $9 million a year? His contract, when they signed him, was six years, $70 million. And I think he has three more years left where the Yankees owe him $9 million over those next three. The Angels are only on the hook for the league minimum, so that's a good deal for them. We know Hicks, often injured, inconsistent, does have pop, but anything that could boost the Angel offense, considering that Otani's now up the freeway in LA, not to say that he's going to replace Otani in any way, shape, or form in the outfield, but that's what they're going to do as far as the Angels are concerned. And then you had some sad news where Jimmy Williams, the one-time Blue Jay manager going back to the 80s, and a Red Sox manager in the 90s, who actually, in both stints, went to League Championship Series. Williams lost to the Yankees in 99, and then the Blue Jays lost in the 87 scenario where the Tigers overtook them. In fact, they didn't even take them to the LCS. They lost out to the Tigers there late in September. Was very good manager, not great, and... Did have his moments where he did make it to the postseason or had good teams, but never able to get over the hump. Dies at the age of 80. So thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the Williams family, Major League Baseball, Toronto, Boston, etc. And now do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by, carving out precious moments out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. Like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, and review. Follow me, subscribe on my YouTube channel, at J Reels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. If you want to send a question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter, X, J Reels 1, just a number. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. As I like to say, talking sports since birth. And I'm not going to stop. I'm only going to continue to keep rising here. As I mentioned, video podcast starting February the 12th, and I'll have some more news coming on Monday's podcast, which you won't want to miss. Because I will continue, no matter where I'm at, what day, shape, form, etc., I'm going to bring the fire, passion, energy, and fury into this microphone through your headphones, earbuds, or speakers with my thoughts, feelings, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>